Welcome to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, a look at the latest news in Louisiana agriculture. Coming up, we'll have a look at this week's Louisiana Ag News headlines. We'll check out the latest happenings at the state capitol and in Washington, D.C. in our grassroots government segment. We'll hear from one of you as we take you to the fields and pastures of the Bayou State and find out the latest in crop and cattle conditions. And we'll look inside the markets with commentary from experts at the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. All of this and more coming up on this week's podcast. Now, here's the host of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, Carrie Martin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 26 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast for Saturday, February 2nd of 2019. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, and our podcast this time is originating from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show in New Orleans, Louisiana. The entire cattle industry has been focused on Louisiana and specifically New Orleans this week, and we'll bring you all the latest news and happenings from the Cattle Industry Convention. The convention kicked off this past Wednesday with the opening session, and it was quite a treat. We had two Louisiana football legends on stage at the same time. First, former New Orleans Saints quarterback and Lafouche Parish native Bobby Hebert was the MC and host for that opening session Wednesday. And then the keynote speaker was from my neck of the woods up in northwest Louisiana, Hall of Famer and four-time Super Bowl champion, Terry Bradshaw. Now, I will tell you that Terry Bradshaw gave a very funny speech. He talked about getting into the cattle business back in the 70s when he had a ranch just literally a couple of miles down the road from where I grew up. He talks about getting into the cattle business, buying the cattle, not having any clue of what he was doing. It was absolutely hilarious if you're in the cattle business for sure, and I want you to hear it. However, It's too long to stick in the news segment, and it's really not news anyway. It's just an entertaining speech. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to follow the usual format for our podcast, and then at the very end, I'm going to put in this Terry Bradshaw speech. It's about 15 minutes or so. It's not the entire speech, but the funny part about him getting into the cattle business, that uh, if you're in Louisiana and in the cattle business, I think you will really get a kick out of this, and you don't want to miss it. So hang around until the end of the podcast or if you'd like to just go forward on to the end, I want you to catch that Bradshaw address. Uh, You'll really get a kick out of it. Well, we're going to kick off things with news headlines from the Cattle Industry Convention. Then we'll follow that up with grassroots government. U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue was back in Louisiana to talk to the Cattle Industry Convention, and our own Avery Davidson got a one-on-one interview with Secretary Perdue. That will be our featured guest on grassroots government. We'll go in the field this week to talk with Derek Miller. He is general manager of the Branch Ranch. That is a ranch back again in my neck of the woods, back up in DeSoto and Natchitoches parishes. The Branch Ranch had a display booth at the NCBA trade show to highlight their ranch and their cattle, and we caught up with Derek. He'll give us an update on what's happening on the Branch Ranch right now up in DeSoto and Natchitoches parishes. 
We'll check in with Greg Fox for a look at the grain markets. And then for a look at the cattle markets, we ran into Rayburn Smith. Of course, if you're in the cattle business in Louisiana, you probably know who Rayburn Smith is. He's a Superior Livestock representative, and he and Chuck Garrett both run the Red River Livestock Auction in Cachata, Louisiana. Rayburn will give us an update on the cattle market and what he's been seeing coming through the auction barn here over the last couple of months. We'll wrap it up with the Louisiana Ag Calendar and then follow that with an excerpt from the Terry Bradshaw speech that we spoke of earlier. All of that coming up on this special edition of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show in New Orleans. And we kick it all off right now. Here's a look at the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. In news headlines this week, the cattle industry converged on New Orleans for the 2019 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show. Three organizations have come together for this cattle industry convention, the Cattlemen's Beef Board, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and the American National Cattlewomen. During the opening session on Wednesday afternoon, former Saints quarterback Bobby Bear brought the leaders of all three organizations on stage. So I'll let Bobby bring you the interview with those three cattle industry leaders. Leadership is important to the organizations heading up our industry, and we're honored today to have three of those leaders here with us today. Joining us on stage, Joan Ruskamp of Nebraska, chairman of the Cattlemen's Beef Board, Kevin Kester of California, President of National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and Gwen Geis of Wyoming, President of the American National Cattlewomen. Welcome to you all. Joan, let's start with you. The Beef Board oversees the Chekhov that supports programs that work to increase beef demand. Joan, why did you get involved with the Beef Board, and what drives your passion for the Chekhov? Thank you. Um, I believe in the beef production story. Belief drives passion, and that passion has now uh, caused me and led me to be an advocate for the Beef Checkoff Program. That passion allowed me to become a member of the, of the Cattlemen's Beef Board and serve you all in that capacity and become part of something much bigger than my farm. I've personally witnessed the dedication to excellence our staff and our contractors have giving us a voice in the conversation. When it comes to cattle on the land, we define sustainability. When it's steak on the plate, we've got innovative ideas like Chuck to help us with nutrition and recipes and cuts and things like that. And so the Beef Checkoff Program is all about being there for all of us and keeping us relevant. We have little pocket cards on your chairs talking about the Beef Checkoff story. And I would encourage everyone here to become an advocate for the Beef Checkoff program and the beef story by taking these home, sharing them with your family, friends, and neighbors, sharing this great story so together we can all be part of something bigger and build consumer demand for beef. Thank you. Thank you, Joan. Kevin, as I understand it, let's give her a hand. Kevin, as I understand it, NCBA has the due role in assisting cattle producers. 
not only is it a checkoff contractor, it also works to enhance business climate for producers. What exactly does that mean? Bobby, you're exactly right. The number one expectation for our grassroots producers, ranchers, and farmers across this great nation is representation in Washington, D.C. on national and international issues. I am so proud, as well as all of you should be, of our staff on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. We have a young, energetic, engaging staff executing a plan to execute our policies and goals for reduction of regulations and inaction of policies. So we should all be engaged to help our staff protect our rear ends each and every day while we're home on the ranches and farms. We know somebody's protecting us in Washington, D.C. Thanks. Now, Gwen, the role of women in the cattle industry seems to be getting more significant every year. How can the cattle women help give a different perspective to the cattle industry for our consuming public? Well, I'd start by saying that everyone in this room knows how big of a role women have always had on the ranch and in the cattle industry. It might not have always been out front or working at the ranch, but we always have a strength in the men and women alike that are working with us. I think the largest way for women to achieve the change on the perspective of the beef industry would be for them to understand their power in their platform whether you're the mom picking up the children at school, you're the attorney representing a rancher, or the next NCBA president, we can affect and educate on the beef industry. The sweat, the heartache, the pride, and satisfaction we have is part of our story, and we need to share those stories. Each of us has the ability to change the way the beef industry is perceived and to make the industry more relatable to the consumer. Bobby A. Bear talking to the leadership of the Cattlemen's Beef Board, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and the American National Cattlewomen. There have been a lot of cattle industry issues discussed this week in New Orleans. Colin Woodall is a lobbyist for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. A lot of issues that we're talking about ranging from fake meat to dietary guidelines to transportation to trade. And the thing is that we're trying to make sure everybody understands that even though this is a divided Congress, we still have the opportunity to engage. We still have the opportunity to work with this new Congress and try to figure out a path forward for all of our policy priorities. Laboratory grown meat or fake meat has been a big issue for the cattle industry over the last year. Woodall says the National Cattlemen's Beef Association made fake meat a priority issue one year ago and a lot of progress has been made on that particular issue. Yeah, that's right. A year ago was when we passed our policy to make this a, a priority issue. It's been a lot of fun working this. Uh, there are very few issues that we have the luxury of working on where not only the members understand what it is we're doing but also the general consumer kind of has an idea of what's going on. And generally, the overall yuck factor behind fake meat is definitely something that's helped us move forward with our ask. And that ask was for USDA to have a role in the daily inspection of this product, but more importantly, for USDA to be able to approve the labels. So that way, these companies cannot use the term clean meat in labeling their product. And we were successful in getting that done. Now, the FDA still has a part in this, and 
they're going to look at the overall technology and try to make sure it's safe. But we really wanted USDA engaged, and that's what we got. And Woodall says several states are also tackling the issue of fake meat. Yeah, there's a lot of states talking with uh, their constituents and trying to look at legislation that would really go out and protect that term beef, in a lot of cases meat. And for us, that is a good thing because that's going to be the next fight on the federal side is what can they actually call it? And we have to protect our terms. And the term that means the most to us is beef. And that's our priority. Let's protect that term beef because we do not want to find ourselves in the same situation that our friends in the dairy industry have been dealing with. And so these state uh, pieces of legislation, I think, will be helpful with that. On the trade front, Colin Woodall says the beef industry has a lot to gain if President Trump is successful with his Chinese trade talks. The talks with the Chinese are extremely important to us because the president's been telling us for quite some time that for the short-term pain that comes with retaliatory tariffs, we could have the chance at long-term gain. And he's exactly right. If he is successful in these talks in taking down the ban on the use of implant hormones, the ban on beta agonist growth uh, promotants, then that could potentially make the Chinese market a $4 billion market for us. USMEF has done a lot of work on that. So that would be just absolutely phenomenal for us. So that's why we are supporting what the president is doing. Uh, We are hoping that these talks continue to move forward, but we know that beef is on the table here. Another big issue that the National Cattlemen's Beef Association has been tackling over the last year and will continue to tackle in 2019 is the regulation of ELDs, electronic logging devices, for cattle haulers. We are really focused on electronic logging devices and hours of service. This is something that we spent a a majority of 2018 looking at as well. We have been successful in exempting livestock haulers from implementation of the ELDs. Even during the government shutdown, we were able to maintain that exemption. So we do believe that we will continue to do that through this divided Congress. But the underlying issue is still there, Ron, and that is we have to address hours of service for livestock haulers. It is a welfare issue, plain and simple. These animals have to get to the next step in their hauling in order to, uh, to, be, to arrive in the best shape possible. And we do believe that the Department of Transportation finally understands that. Now we're going to have to work with them to see if we can extend those hours of service. So that's going to be one of our priorities for 2019. The Environmental Protection Agency and the Army Corps of Engineers issued a brand new Waters of the U.S. rule, or Clean Water Rule, as some people are calling it, and it was received with open arms by the agricultural industry. Colin Woodall says the National Cattlemen's Beef Association welcomed it as well. Uh, we are pretty happy. You know, with, with any rule or regulation coming out of a federal department, uh, there's always going to be some small tweaks that are required, but it achieved what we wanted, and that's rolling back the encroachment on uh, private property rights, which the 2015 Obama rule did. And, you know, all of this uh, was a, a factor of the president making this a priority. Uh, Administrator Pruitt made it a priority, and his successor now, uh, the, the, the newly nominated uh, Administrator Wheeler, has also made it priority. So uh, we are still optimistic that we're going to get this done. It's going to be something that we can defend in court. And ultimately, as I said, it protects private property rights. And that's what we've wanted all along. And finally, the 2018 Farm Bill. Woodall says there were some big victories in that bill for the cattle industry. Uh, the top priority for us is going to be implementation of all of the animal, animal protection language that was included. Uh, that includes the, uh, the grants to the states for prevention activities, 
It also includes the funding for the system of federal labs that are in place. And for us, our number one issue within that farm bill was getting a foot and mouth disease vaccine bank established, authorized, and funded. And so now it's going to be working with the secretary to take the authorization that's in the bill and the funding that was also included and get started on that. It's not going to be neat. it's not going to be everything that we we need, but it's a start. And we always knew it was going to take a while to build up to a vaccine bank that ultimately can take care of us, but we have to start somewhere. Again, that's Colin Woodall. He is a lobbyist for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association covering several issues facing the cattle industry right now. And I want to take a quick moment and thank my good friend Ron Hayes. He is a farm broadcaster in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. He conducted that interview with Colin Woodall and was nice enough to share it with me so that you can hear it right here on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Now for some Louisiana reaction to the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show. Now, speaking of the trade show, this was a monstrous trade show. I know that seven acres isn't really a lot of pasture. Seven acres isn't really a lot of crop ground. But seven acres is a lot of trade show. My feet hurt by the time I got through this thing. We caught up with several Louisiana cattlemen in the trade show to get their reaction First, we start with Lloyd Dodson. Lloyd has a cattle operation in Bossier and Red River Parishes. Well, they bring uh, medicine companies, equipment companies, uh, all facets of the livestock industry here. And you can't go anywhere else to get as much information in a day on what we need and what we use to try to make it work in the cattle business. There's breeders here, uh, there's a, tractors, hay balers, all the medicine companies, and you can come in one spot. You can go to seminars here to help us work from cattle handling to finances, how to market our cattle, and it's just a, kind of one-stop shop if you're in the livestock business, especially the cattle business, National Cattlemen's Association, and it, uh, there's just not any other place you can go to get the kind of information you can get here, and the people are all willing to give it because that's their business, you know. We also ran into Randy Toops. He's a cattleman from Thibodeau, Louisiana. He says he got a lot out of the entire convention. Yes, it's one of the biggest trade shows I've ever been to, and uh, this is my fifth time that I've come in the last five years, and uh, I wasn't going to miss it because they have a lot of information that that is uh, good information. You go to Cattleman's College, plus come to the trade show after, you know, enjoy yourself. But uh, there's a lot of educational meetings that we have, and uh, if you're a member of the Cattleman's Association, uh, it does a lot of good. And Toop says the National Cattlemen's Beef Association does a great job of representing the cattle industry on the national level. Yes, NCBA does a great job on uh, representing us on the legislative side in Washington. Uh, every year we, we uh, raise money for PAC to uh, support them in our office in uh, Washington. And uh, they really do a good job as far as for the farm bill and and the trade agreements that we have, we, 
we are well represented. Caddo Parish Cattleman Marty Woldridge says the convention was a great place to network with other cattle producers. Kind of like a family reunion to a certain extent you know, over there, but you know, we get to catch up on what the latest, what they've got going on at the ranch, how the bulls are looking as we're building toward the sales. I've, I've talked to another uh, bull provider from here in Louisiana, the Branch Ranch, Tommy Rogers, Mansfield, Louisiana. Just talked to him. Uh, Lloyd Dotson's with us. They do a lot of work together. You know, it's just good to be able to get around and see people face to face that you a you haven't seen in a while and, and b uh, swap stories of how your ryegrass is doing how wet how wet it is your place and what are you going to do to get through this year coming up next it's grassroots government we have a very special guest united states secretary of agriculture sonny purdue he was here in new orleans this week and he visited with avery davidson we'll bring you that conversation next on the voice of louisiana agriculture podcast This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Farm Bureau has been working for Louisiana's farmers and ranchers since 1922, and that work continues today. If you're a farmer or rancher, Farm Bureau wants you to join and be a part of their family. Farm Bureau knows you're busy running your operation, so while you're at work on your farm or ranch, Farm Bureau is watching out for your interests, so join today. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. It's time for a look inside the halls of government in this week's edition of Grassroots Government on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. On Grassroots Government, United States Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue visited the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show here in New Orleans. Our own Avery Davidson caught up with Secretary Perdue and brings us this edition of Grassroots Government. Secretary Purdue, it's an honor to have you back here in Louisiana for what, the third time in just a few months? It is, and two of those have been really good. This one in the Farm Bureau, but uh, Sugar Bowl was not so good. <laughs> well, whenever you came down in uh, October, a lot of our soybean farmers were wondering about if they would qualify for MFP payments, even though they did not harvest. There is a bill in Congress from Congressman Ralph Abraham that would open it for planted acres. Uh, when we last spoke, you didn't seem too optimistic about it. Any Anything changed in that time? No, really. I would encourage Congress to pass Dr. Abraham's bill. I think it really reaches out there. Uh, we were not able to change the market facilitation program midstream. We had put out the rules and regulations uh, in the summer, and uh, we had to live through those uh, all the way through. So uh, we live by acts of Congress. We're the administration, the executive branch, and we implement what Congress passes, and if they so choose, we'll be happy to uh, execute and implement that. Well, recently uh, Congress passed the Farm Bill, President Trump signed the Farm Bill, and then we had a little bit of a government shutdown hiccup there. But what, what do you see going forward, USDA moving forward with the programs in the new Farm Bill? Well, good. We have a lot of work to do. Obviously, when Congress finishes a bill, uh, fleshing out all the rules and regulations, they call it Farm Bill Implementation, it's really important for growers and producers to know exactly how those provisions in the Farm Bill will be interpreted, how they will be applied, enforced, and uh, farmers are good rule followers. They just want to know what the rules are, and that's our job, and we're working at it, even working uh, with a skeleton crew during the shutdown because it's they're important, and I want to get it done sooner rather than later. 
Well, I've got a couple of my friends from the NRCS here, so I've got to ask you at least one conservation question. So the conservation programs that are in the new farm bill, how do you see that fleshing out, especially for our folks here in Louisiana who are very strong users of EQIP, of the wetlands uh, program as well? Well, our conservation uh, title knocked it out of the park in the farm bill, so our NRCS uh, folks are going to have a good time implementing many of the new provisions, a little more money as well over all those programs and uh, conservation measures. And we were uh, dealing with, uh, in Washington this week, with a group there of conservationists, and uh, your own uh, Kevin was there, and uh, we uh, had a great discussion about how we can uh, use the uh, uh, the fundamental practices and principles in the Farm Bill uh, to on the ground here in Louisiana and other places. Obviously, the rice industry has been a huge uh, user of those conservation practices, and we look forward to deploying them across the country. I was talking to Matt Lower literally minutes before coming up here. Great guy. But also, we were talking about Kevin Norton. Uh, what are the chances of him coming back to Louisiana? Uh, I think in probably three or four years, it'd be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Retirement's a great time to come back to Louisiana. <laughs> we... Uh, uh, Kevin's a, a vital aspect. He's uh, the technical knowledge is unparalleled and uh, got respect all across the country with uh, really groups in the production side as well as the conservation and wildlife side. So he brings a balance there. He knows the programs. He's known it. He's implemented them. He knows how they work. And as you indicated, Louisiana has been a big user of many of those larger uh, uh, programs in conservation dealing with uh, wildlife and other things. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you something about cattle since we're here at the Cattle Industry Convention. I spoke with a few of our cattlemen, Marty Woldridge being one of them, who sort of echo some of the issues that we've seen in any state in the southeast, and that's the concern over EDLs, the electronic logs in, in shipping cattle. What do you see happening in the future with that? Is there anything that USDA can do to kind of help curb those rules? Well, we have been working with the Department of Transportation and uh, the Federal Motor Carrier uh, Act uh, and, and people really for over a year. And initially they were rather, uh, had a lot of inertia about that. I think they finally understood the issue over uh, transporting livestock and you can't necessarily comply with some of these weight rules when you've got animals in the trailer in the back. So uh, not only animals, we've got other issues in livestock for vegetables and other perishable products. And I think we're getting some reason there. So they're, uh, they're looking at their rules, and we've been just, uh, I've got one lady in USDA, she's just on them like uh, white on rice. <laughs> and that's a good thing for our farmers and ranchers. What, now that you've been around the country a few times, what do you see as the state of agriculture right now? What do you see us doing here in the future? Well, again, I think the state of agriculture is still not where we want it. Uh, I am just absolutely amazed with the resilience of the American farmer, rancher, producer. Uh, 18 was not a good year. It was a tough year. We got to acknowledge that. And uh, we had a lot of disruptions there. Uh, but farmers are steadfast. They're some of the hardiest people amazing around. And you know, and, and you know who knows that? President Trump instinctively understands that American farmers embody that American spirit that built this country. I think that's why he such, has such an affection and affinity for the American farmer. He looked over at me yesterday and said, Sonny, we're going to take care of our farmers in the conversation with China. So President Trump gets it. But uh, just like I told him early on, I said, these farmers are patriots, Mr. President, but they can't build, pay the bills with patriotism. We've got to have some trade this year that can uh, help to fill their pocketbooks and, uh, and provide for their families. 
Speaking of China, anything you heard yesterday that was uh, encouraging to you as far as opening up the markets a little bit more? Well, I'm encouraged. I think both sides are very serious about the issues. Uh, they uh, they know what we would like, and we know what they would like. And uh, I think Vice Premier Huck came and uh, with a really a spirit of uh, of openness, and uh, certainly has offered to buy uh, five million more metric tons of soybeans. Uh, uh, outright uh, was a good gesture. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do, though, frankly, over the structural issues that began this, and that's intellectual property transfer, uh, force transfer, theft, those kind of issues. If China wants to continue to be a global leader in the economy, they've got to understand their, their economic rules and laws of honesty and, and uh, that have to be taken and that we cannot tolerate on an international scale uh, uh, subterfuge and, and counterintelligence and those kind of things going on corporately or through state. And that's, uh, that's just part of it. And I'm hoping we can get there. I think they're beginning to understand how serious President Trump is about that. And uh, it, the ball's in their court. If they're willing to do something that's enforceable and sustainable in that area, I think they can be a great customer. We can be a great provider. I know that Louisiana Farm Bureau members are very happy to have a couple of Georgia farmers there in Washington, D.C., in you and Zippy Duvall fighting for them. Thank you very much, Sonny Purdue. Thank you. Zippy's a great friend, National Farm, American Farm Bureau does a good job, and as well as all your state uh, uh, affiliates there, we, we rely on Farm Bureau all over the country. United States Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Purdue. Coming up next, we go in the field to talk with Derek Miller. He's general manager of the Branch Ranch in DeSoto and Natchitoches Parishes here in Louisiana. We caught up with Derek at the NCBA trade show here in New Orleans, and he'll join us next in the field on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. What comes out of the ground creates energy and has been a major contributor to Louisiana's economy for over two centuries? No, it's not oil. It's sugar. Sugar cane, sweet sugar cane. Ever since the Jesuits began cultivating sugar in colonial Louisiana, this sweet crop has had a major impact on our economic well-being. Each year, our sugarcane industry creates an economic boon of nearly $3 billion for the Bayou State. This vital business engine supports fuel and fertilizer distributors, tractor and automotive dealerships, supermarkets, and more than 15,000 Louisiana jobs. The sugar industry also benefits research universities and schools, banks, and insurance agencies. Sugarcane, sweet sugarcane. The Louisiana sugarcane industry helping empower the people of Louisiana for more than 220 years. Louisiana Sugar, making life sweeter, naturally. We're taking you to the fields of Louisiana as we hear from one of you in the field on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. We go in the field this week to talk with Derek Miller. He is general manager of the Branch Ranch. They're located in both DeSoto and Natchitoches parishes in Louisiana. Derek, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. First, tell our listeners about the Branch Ranch. As I mentioned, you're in both uh, Mansfield and Natchitoches. Tell me about the size of the ranch and the cattle that you have. 
We are a seed stock Brangus producer, uh, two separate ranches, like you mentioned, uh, both near a couple thousand acres apiece. Have an annual sale the first Monday in November every year. Sell 75 to 100 Brangus bulls, along with 100 to 200 females, bred and pairs. How many cattle do you have all total on both ranches? Uh, nearly about 1,500. That sounds like that can keep you busy. Seven day, 24-7, except for today. <laughs> well, you're exhibiting here at the NCBA trade show. Why do you guys uh, exhibit here, and what kind of results have you had? It's been really busy, uh, a lot more attention than we thought. Uh, but basically to put our name out here, uh, a lot of people really don't know where we are, and we're trying to grow this deal to tap into a few different markets. Well, tell me about how conditions have been. I know if you're like uh, most folks that I talk to in northwest Louisiana, uh, you, you endured a real dry summer and then a really wet fall. How has that affected your cattle operation on the Branch Ranch this past year? It's been tough. Uh, winter forage doesn't really exist right now. We did luckily bail a couple thousand rolls of haylage and some dry coastal Bermuda, and we've been feeding, you know, different supplements, and we've fared very well so far, but we're ready for spring. Do you think you'll have enough hay to get you through the rest of this winter? Yeah, yeah, I think we're going to make it. Uh, I th- it looks like we'll have at least six, 700 extra bales so far, but it was pretty scarce for a while. You mentioned winter grass is pretty much non-existent. Usually at this time of year, you know, that stuff's getting ready to take off. How much did you guys plant, and uh, what's it look like right now? We planted probably fifteen to 1,800 acres of uh, ryegrass, and it's been, it's been scarce. So we did get a chance to get litter out and get everything fertilized, so looks like the weeks ahead are going to, you know, improve our grass. So we'll see what happens. How have the wet conditions, the muddy conditions, affected your cow herd? It actually has been better than expected, but we have had several issues of foot rot and different things. But luckily we have some medicated you know, minerals and different supplements out for calves and females and bulls. And, but we have had to doctor on a few. Has it affected the condition of your cows? No, no. It's uh, Like I said, it has been rough, but we've been on top of it. We try not to let them get behind. Do you have calves hitting the ground yet? We're actually all fall calving, so we were actually, we calving about 75, 80 days uh, with the last calf being born probably the first week of December. So we actually were pulling bulls in two weeks, and we usually wean the last week of April. So we've we've got calves everywhere. I know you guys hold some sales. Tell me about the sales that producers could take advantage of from the Branch Ranch. Yeah, we actually have a sale every November, first Monday in November. where we'll sell 75 bulls, ultra black and brangus, full two-year-old breeding age bulls, and along with 100 to 200, you know, bred females, uh, mainly brangus with some uh, super body females. And then uh, we do do private treaty sales all year, bulls and females also. Derek Miller, he is general manager of the Branch Ranch, located in Mansfield and Natchitoches, Louisiana. Thank you so much, Derek. appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. Coming up next, it's time to look at the markets. We'll check in with Greg Fox, and we ran down Rayburn Smith here in New Orleans at the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. That's coming up next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. 
This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. If you're a farmer or rancher, Farm Bureau wants you to join and be a part of their family. I grew up in Louisiana farm country, and I know all the hard work and sacrifice that you put into raising livestock, growing a crop, raising a family, and running a farm. Farm Bureau puts that same hard work and sacrifice into making life better for you and your family, so join today. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Now let's look at the markets with insight from the experts at the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Now to talk about the markets, we go to Greg Fox. He's a grain marketing specialist with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. And Greg, looking at the markets today, we're seeing double-digit gains in the soybean market. What's going on there? Still, you know, kind of following off of the U.S.-China talks. You know, we heard that some of the talks weren't going so well. Um, but then this morning, you know, that might not have been accurate because China supposedly pledged to buy another 5 million metric tons of soybeans. So that's given us a little bit of support here in these markets. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we can get the right information to figure out what exactly is going on. But, you know, this is just kind of par for the course. As long as we continue to hear good, bad out of China-U.S. relations, you know, we're going to see these little bumps up or bumps down until we actually get something done so you know who knows when that's going to get done seeing positive movements in the corn market as well is that just some follow-through some spillover from the soybeans that is that's you know you see 10 you know double digit gains on the bean side that's going to definitely help corn pick up a few cents the corn's kind of been able to hang on on its own you know up a little bit just down a little bit um and then you know we continue here you know wheat you know, some days it's in demand, some days it's not. Uh, quality issues, you know, whatever country is growing wheat this this month, you know, you hear issues there. So when wheat makes a big run, like today it's up, you know, roughly a nickel, that also lends a little bit of support to the corn market. So, you know, corn's catching it on both sides and able to pick up a couple of cents. Greg Fox with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. Thanks a lot, Greg. Yes, sir. Thank you. And now we continue to talk about the cattle market. We're continuing from the 2019 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show in New Orleans, and we've caught up with Rayburn Smith. Rayburn, of course, is a superior livestock representative in Louisiana. He, along with Chuck Garrett, also run the Red River Livestock Auction just outside of Cachetta. And Rayburn, let's talk first about the auction business. I know that Red River Livestock is one of, if not the largest, livestock auction in Louisiana. Y'all run a lot of cattle through that thing. What kind of year did you have in 2018? We had a really good year as far as numbers. Uh, the market had, you know, it wasn't as well as it could have been, but uh, can always be worse. But our numbers are probably, I say, I'm just guessing now, probably 10,000 ahead of last year. Raven, let's talk about the market a little bit. Uh, I watch the reports that Red River Livestock puts out every week. Uh, tell me how the calf market has looked here lately. I know it's the time of year when runs are kind of light, so how has the market been looking here over the last month or so? Well, the market's picked up, I guess, probably from 10 to 30 cents a hundred the last month. Uh, we're, we're, the runs are getting really short. Most of the cattle are gone, you know, the wean cattle, and, and we've got to raise a bunch now for the next crop but uh if we could just get this 
wet weather situation under control. The feedlots are wet, the, the pastures are wet, the pens are wet, the feed bunks are wet. I mean, everything is just a mess. And that's one thing that's really holding us back, I think, with this light cave market especially. And I think that's important for Louisiana cattlemen to understand that the things that are going on in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, the feed yards, the cold weather, all that does trickle down to our market in Louisiana. Yes, it does. Every bit of it has an effect on us. And uh, one of the big things is, is uh, hay. You know, uh, availability of hay is almost zero. And if you do find it, it's, it's priced pretty high, almost um, high enough that you can't afford to feed it. So pasture conditions out west, there's absolutely no grass to graze. You can't rent any grass anywhere because a lot of them got it in and, and, and you know, draft in it for a while and then they got it up and first one thing and then the army worms hit it the ones that did get it up and get it going got got arm worms in it so a lot of that did never get ever did get stock so um situation is if we can ever get to grass with these lighter cattle we feel like it'll be quite a bit better but the feedlot conditions they're full they're muddy and we get a little pin space and get rid of a little bit of mud that'll help everybody's feelings Rayburn, let's talk about the slaughter cow market. That thing got ugly in the fall. Uh, prices were really, really low. Slaughter cow market this week was better. I think they're working around 113 on the rail, which the best cow this week at Red River brought 161, which we hadn't seen a $60 cow in, man, I don't even remember when. It's been a while. So we worked those numbers out pretty well. Hopefully uh, we keep this market going you know, forward. What's the reason behind the drop in cow prices this fall? I mean, I was watching your, your reports. I saw cows selling as low as 150 bucks. So uh, what, what was behind that? Well, we've lost so many packing houses, so many cow kill plants in the last, uh, say, five years. Uh, L&H out of San Antonio closed down. They killed 1,100 a day. Central Pack in Florida closed. They killed about 700 a day. It just... Just so many packing houses have gotten outdated and closed down. And not much interest in building one back. Too many factors like animal rights and uh, finance just takes big money. So there's not much interest there. And uh, we just, we've got more, we've got more cows and less kill capacity than there's ever been since we started killing cows. I mean, it's just no kill capacity. So... That's, that's a big, big factor. You know, a lot of times we'd have to hold those cattle one, two, th- even three weeks for the, to get them killed after we sold them, you know. Buyers didn't have room to, to take them. So that's, there's just no competition virtually in the cow business. Let's switch over and talk about the video auction with Superior Livestock. What kind of year did you have in 2018 there? We had a good year in 2018. Our numbers were good. The market was good, especially good in the spring. In summer, it tempered off a little bit this fall, but it always does. So we had a really, really good year with Superior. I know that you're one of the largest Superior reps. You sell a lot of cattle. Uh, how many Louisiana cattle do you think ballpark that uh, you moved through Superior over the past year? I'm going to say we sold around 20,000 head Louisiana cattle. Do you feel like that is a good avenue for producers to take, uh, even if they're smaller producers, maybe to put together loads with other cattlemen and try to get them on the video? Well, it's working really well. You know, 
even if the cattle bring the same thing at a sale barn, and we get in a sale barn business, so I'm not knocking the barns, but if they bring the same thing in the barn as they bring on the video, we're still 30 to 50 bucks a head better off, difference in the commission and the way up. Let's talk about this convention that we're at. We're here at the NCBA trade show right now as we speak. Uh, you're here representing Superior Livestock. Tell me what you've been up to over the last couple of days. Well, we've been shaking a lot of hands, trying to trying to entice these buyers to buy these cattle from Louisiana. We're, we have a, our sale with Superior be here in Natchitoches. They come to Louisiana to sell these southeastern cattle, so that's a good thing. we got to build this buyer base, and that's what I'm doing, shaking hands and trying to get these guys to come down here to, to our sale. Tell me about the big Gulf Coast Classic that's happening in Natchitoches. When is that coming up? That's coming up on the 3rd and the 4th of April, and then we'll have an annual cookout in my place on the on the 5th. So and we're expecting a two-day sale. It depends on the numbers, of course, and uh, we, we really, we're really expecting a good sale. How many years now does this make that you've had this sale in Natchitoches? This will be the third year. We've got a really good facility, and uh, it's just... It's just been really a good sale, a good place for people to come and tour the old houses, old plantation homes, and it's just a, a really good place to come to. Rayburn Smith, he is with Superior Livestock Auction and Red River Livestock Auction in Cachetta. Thanks so much, Rayburn. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Our podcast continues from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show in New Orleans. Coming up next, we'll take a look at the Louisiana Ag Calendar And we'll bring you an excerpt from Terry Bradshaw's speech during the opening session of the convention. I found it really funny. I think you will, too. So stick around to hear from Terry Bradshaw right after the Ag Calendar here on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Louisiana farmers and ranchers dedicate their lives to producing the food we eat and the clothes we wear. Agriculture touches all of us every time we sit down at the table. So support Louisiana agriculture by joining Farm Bureau. And you don't have to be a farmer to join. If you're already a member, we thank you. Your membership supports farmers and ranchers right here in your local community. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Now to wrap up this week's podcast, let's take a look at what's coming up this week on the Louisiana Ag Calendar. On the Louisiana Ag Calendar, we have three events coming up over the next couple of weeks. First, February 9th through the 16th, it's the LSU Spring Livestock Show at the Lamar Dixon Expo Center in Gonzales. I always have some great memories of bringing my Angus heifers down to the LSU Spring Livestock Show. Again, that's coming up February 9th through the 16th in Gonzales. A couple of rice meetings coming up over the next couple of weeks. First is Wednesday, February 13th. The Sinla Rice Growers Meeting will be held in Bunky. Then the next day, February 14th, on Valentine's Day, the Northeast Louisiana Rice Growers Meeting will be held in Ravel. That is a look at the Louisiana Ag Calendar, and now we're going to wrap up this week's podcast by looking back at Wednesday's opening session 
of the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show here in New Orleans. Louisiana legend, four-time Super Bowl quarterback Terry Bradshaw addressed the convention. Now, Terry is a cattleman himself, as he will tell you, and he also had a cattle ranch back in the 70s and early 80s just down the road from where I grew up in DeSoto Parish. He tells a really funny story about getting into the cattle business, so I'll turn it over to Terry Bradshaw right here on The Voice of Louisiana Agriculture Podcast. I am a cattleman. I raise Angus cattle. I know the, I know the Parker Ranch. The Parker Ranch has got some folks here. I used to have a home in the Parker Ranch. And his cows, their cows, kept tearing my fence down and eating all my grass and all my shrubs, so I sold it and got away from there. But I know the Parker guys. And then uh, who else is here that I know? Jim Willis I know. Uh, I got all my cattle up in Kansas. That gummit, I'm going, I'm having a hard time thinking who these guys are. Nice people, though, whoever they are. I run Angus. I have 100 Let's see, I have 94 registered Angus. I have three of the top Angus bulls. I own donor cattle at the Gardeners. Ha ha, thank God it came to Mark Gardner. I don't know if Mark's here, but geez, Louise. Then I have uh, 56 Brangus cows. Um, like them. I like them a lot, actually. My dad, I bought them because my father, who Passed away five years today. Uh, he was the one that uh, wanted me to get into the Brangus business, but I didn't really want to do the Brangus cattle. I was a little afraid of them. Uh, didn't want to get hurt. And then my wife and I were driving to Shreveport on a back road one day, because I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana, right up the road here. And we came by a gray Brahmin ranch, and they had a bunch of cows out there with those little baby gray Brahmins with their ears, you know, this long. And bleh. And she's like, ain't those things cute? We got to get some of those. I just love them. So we got 56 of those things. (laughs) Happy wife. Yeah, that's what I hear. You'd think after three of those, I would have learned the answer to that. And then I bought one of the best Brahmin bulls in the world because she calls him Elvis, hunk of burning love, I think is the song she goes by. So she likes him. And I got him in my horse paddocks. I keep him out there with my stallions. And that was, as you can imagine, those stallions didn't know what to do with this thing. So it was, he's there. I hadn't used him yet. He's just there. He weighs 2,400 pounds. He's just there. Just spooky looking sucker. That's all I know. I actually tried to go pedman and told me he was gentle. And I, when he turned and looked at me, that was about it. I didn't want any part of that, so I moved on. So I am a, a cattleman. I'm also I run 190 head of quarter horses. Uh, I own a great pleasure horse, uh, extremely hot chips. And um, then I had a bunch of halter horses, which is primarily what I do is run halter. I grew up in a little town of Hall Summit, Louisiana, and all my uncles were cutting horse and roping horse people. Uh, my introduction to cattle came through my, the farm where my grandfather planted cotton and watermelons and had one cow, a Jersey cow. He had a Hereford bull, and he, that's it. That's all he had. And then he'd breed the Hereford cow, uh, or the Hereford, to the Jersey. They'd milk. My grandmother would milk, 
and then she'd take the baby, and then they'd sell that, and that'd be their meat, and so on and so forth. And so that's my first, you know, introduction to cows was the Jersey cow, and I learned how to crawl on top of the barn and drop a cat. You know you can drop a cat? It will always land on its feet. And I found that out when I used to drop that cat on that Jersey cow while my grandmother was down there, down there milking. I just loved doing that. That was fun. Good to be with all you cattlemen, all you beef people. This is a, this a, great, this a great day for all of us. Great day to be alive, a great day to have fun, great day to be able to raise our hands and, and say we're fortunate that we're in the business that we're in. We care about the environment, we care about the grasses that we feed our cattle, we care about our cattle, we care about our farms, 175,000 breeders, we care about people. Uh, this is a good bunch of folks. You earn a, your dollars the hard way. We all know right now, if you're, in, you, if you're in the north right now, and I made a phone call to a friend of mine, in southern uh, South Dakota to check on him. He hadn't been outside in a week to check on anything because of the weather. So pretty brutal up there right now. So I understand the conditions about cattle. I, I used to have to do, I used to raise a lot of cementals and <clears throat> I enjoyed that a lot. I didn't like cutting the horns off because it made me a little sick of my stomach. You had, to, you know, we did it with those wire things. And that's a little bloody. I remember my agent from California coming down. I just finished shooting a movie, and he wanted to come see the ranch. He's down there, and when I cut that vein in that horn, that blood shot up and hit all over his face. And it was a good moment for me, but he about lost it. <laughs> so I learned how to do that. I don't like AI, and I tried to do the AI. I've fixed prolapse uteruses before. That's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, that's, these are some of the things I can't talk about on the Fox pregame show because they don't like for me to talk about my animals. But that's all I know. All about those bulls, know how to pull those calves. You can actually pull a calf that's stuck if you're by yourself with a jeep and a winch. And that's pretty... Anybody done that besides me? <laughs> As the preacher says, I see that hand. Yes, right back there. So I've had some great experiences. I used my first set of cattle I ever bought, a little on my farm in in uh, Grand Cane, Louisiana. I bought. I needed. I needed. I thought two hundred commercial cows, and so a guy by the name of R. W. Sloan says, "Well, what you need to do is get you some heifers." And I know where there's a group of a set of heifers. Isn't that what y'all saying? You traders out there, a set of heifers. I know there's a set of heifers in South Louisiana, and uh, we can go down there. How much money do you want to spend? I don't have any money. Well, you're going to need money. How much? Well, you're probably going to need, let's say, I can't remember, say, you know, $75,000. Well, I was making $25,000 a year playing football, unlike the guys today. They, they certainly are making more than $25,000, aren't they? I mean... Who's, what, what, what is, uh, uh, what's his face just signed for what, 26 million a year? Uh, Smith up in Washington, 24 million a year. He's out for another year, but he gets another 24 million because he got a compound fracture of the ankle. But you give me 24 million, I'll sit out a year with a compound. Anything won't really matter. <laughs> Roethlisberger, 26 million. Uh, Brady making 22 million. Uh, Peyton, when he tired, 26 million. 20, 
Drew Brees, 28 million right here in, in New Orleans. Drew Brees. Uh, none of these people come in here to speak to you folks. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. You may want them here. They don't know nothing about cattle. They can't fix nothing. They ain't getting blood and dirt on themselves. And they don't need 1500 bucks. That's just the way it is. So I'm the best you got right now. But I can talk. I can talk cows, all right? There's no boy in Shreveport, and he had run a radio station. He had that farm report, and I didn't know anything about cattle. And when I bought my ranch in Louisiana, and I had 400 acres, and had, when Sloan got me, here, I jumped off of that real quick. Sloan got me all these heifers, and I brought 220 heifers back up. And I would go to the Federal Land Bank and borrowed the money on my NFL contract. And I borrowed it because it was a five-year contract, and it went 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. And that was it. That was all I was, that was it. And so I used that contract, the remaining four years, and I, and I used it to get the money to buy the uh, ranch, which cost me 160000 220 cattle, and I don't know what they cost. I can't remember. I'd be lying. Then you have, when you get cattle and you have land, you got to have a tractor. So I had to buy a tractor. Then you got to have a brush hog. And then after, or as they say in the south, a bush hog. And then you got to have a hay cutter. You see, you got to have a hay cutter. And then you got to have a baler. Well, that's another hundred something thousand dollars. And I hadn't made a penny yet on these heifers. And so I got a, I'm all set up. I'm a John Deere guy. I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm a John Deere guy. And uh, Honda for motor, for lawnmowers. I got a little Honda, y'all. Get a little Honda, a little, little foreign promotion right there. Anyway, so I'm waiting. I'm all excited because these are Brennell Catholic. These are, these are tiger stripes. Y'all know what those are? They're just badass cows. I mean, they can run in the Kentucky Derby, these suckers. They're fast. And, they, and they're not that big because they're heifers. And I didn't put it all together because you're not going to make money off of a heifer for what? Those things? Three years maybe. I don't know. I didn't know. Guy honks, horn late, 2 o'clock in the morning. My little, my little old house is about 150 yards off the road. He honks. I'm waking up, dogs are barking. What is that honking? And that's the guy bringing the cattle from South Louisiana. And they were on a truck, huge double-decker truck. All of them were on the double-decker truck. <laughs> little bitty things. Couldn't see. I drove up to the front of the house or the road. Told me where we unload these things. I went. I have no idea. Just just turn them loose down here somewhere. <laughs> so I didn't have a place. So we rode down the hill, and at the bottom of the hill, it got a ditch, and I had an old gate there. And I got out, him a little old jeep, so I could see the gate. Unlocked the gate. He pulled up and he twisted that truck until it went down in the ditch. And when it down in the ditch, it was only about a four-foot jump on the first layer of cows. They had no problem clearing the ditch. When he dropped that gate and those things went out of there, it was just pew, 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 yeah, 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 choom, choom, flying over my head, jumping, falling on one another, crawling out under the fence, yeah, yeah, took off running down through the field. 
Couldn't even see them, but I heard them running, stampeding. All of a sudden, I'll tell you here, bing, bing, bing. There went my cross fence. All of that's gone. All the way to the back of the place. More cattle now, though. The other ones are coming out, and they're falling all over. We've got a pile of them. I'm trying to pick some up. Some won't move because, quite honestly, they're dead. Hope Peter ain't here. And they're flying off that place, and I'm panicked. Oh, my God, I've never seen such a mess. Then I had to go get my tractor, come back with a chain, pull him out. After I shut the gate, and I sat there. Now, we're about 3.20 in the morning, about 3.30 maybe. And I could hear those cattle way off in the distance. And then every now and then, bing. <laughs> Next morning, I called Sloan, told him about the delivery. He said, well, let's take a look at them. I said, I don't think we can get close to them. <laughs> So we got out there. We tried to go in his truck, but there was no getting near these suckers. Hey, you, right, if he artificially bred them, you had to shoot them with a slingshot. Wow. I mean, they were gone. Fifty we hadn't seen of yet. Don't even know where they are. And then I had no bulls to breed them. Well, they, they were this big. So then this guy says, well, you got to get some Angus bulls because they'll produce you a good small calf and it's important on a heifer, or as I tell uh, Howie, a heifer is a cow that it's probably under two years of age and hadn't had a baby yet. That would be a heifer. A cow would have been a heifer that's had a calf, and we'd call that a cow. It's, uh, it was just too confusing for him. We just blew it off. We couldn't find these cattle. Another 30 of them ended up with pneumonia. We were roping them, giving them shots. Then I had to go buy bulls, and they said one bull per 20 cows. So 20 cows, I got 200, but I lost 50. So I got 170, is that what I got? So I got to have 17 bulls. So I found me the best Angus breeder in the state of Louisiana, and I went and bought 17 bulls with federal land bank money. I am so, I am so strung out. I got so much money invested in these things and the cattle and everything. And I'm just sitting down just almost in tears. And my dad said, boy, what's the matter with you? How am I going to make this work? It's just me. And I learned how to work cattle. I learned how to cut hay. I don't know how to test hay. I learned how to artificial inseminate. I learned how to buy my bulls. I learned what I wanted. I experimented with all kinds. I bought short horns from that guy at the radio station because he said those are the best cattle in the world. But what he didn't tell me was I bought 17 of them. They had a calf in four years. So I was getting hosed by my best friends. But I endured because I love cattle, all right? I just love the beef industry. Yes, and that's what counts. My childhood hero and former neighbor, Terry Bradshaw, from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show in New Orleans. 
Well, I know, folks, this has been a long podcast, much longer than we usually go, but there was just so much happening down here in New Orleans that I had to share it with you. I hope you enjoyed it. I sure enjoyed putting it together for you. We will see you on the next podcast. And in the meantime, be sure to keep up with us on social media. We're on both Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at Voice of LA Ag. We keep you updated with the latest news and happenings in Louisiana agriculture on both of those social media accounts. We'll see you next time right here on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Thanks for listening to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This podcast is produced by Kerry Martin and the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. For more information, be sure to check out our website, voiceoflouisianaagriculture.org and lafarmbureau.org.